eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson, and this is our Tennessee Titans preview podcast. And Logan, as we build out our Odyssey podcast network, there are two teams that have avoided the Odyssey gods so far. The New York Jets and Tennessee Titans. So it's just really? us today. Yeah, those, wow. we, have, uh, we have podcasts for uh, 29, or 30 of the 32 teams, uh, 29 other teams plus us. Uh, and so we will continue, certainly as we go throughout the year, to have those folks on uh, but we have reached a week where we do not yet have a podcast in our ever-growing podcast universe uh and so you're stuck with us uh the good news is hopefully you like us you're a subscriber perhaps even if you haven't uh subscribed and downloaded the podcast make sure that you do that on your favorite podcast app all right logan uh there's a lot to talk about let's even start in-house like we've watched a lot okay. of tennessee film i'm excited to get your breakdowns on all that but the, the injury problems that have started to stack up for the commanders, I feel like you know, this will obviously lead into how they match up against Tennessee, but like how how impactful is Sam Cosme being out with Cordelius Lucas theoretically coming in, especially when Sadiq Charles is taking over? You know, four of the five O-linemen at this point weren't opening day starters. Uh, Schweitzer was the starter uh, on opening day, or I guess Norwell was a starter. Um, but yeah. they've Norwell's, I think, been out or something this week at some point. But whatever it is, there was a point at some point this week where I saw four or five guys not opening day starters. Uh, now their left side is, is good, uh, but they've got the injuries to Dotson as well. Like how, how impactful would these injuries be on the offensive side? I mean, I think it's a big deal. Obviously, anytime you're doing, uh, you know, musical chairs, especially along the offensive line, I think you look at a guy like Lucas and you feel really lucky to have him on the roster because he is a good football player and he's a guy that's going to play, as close to starting caliber as you can get from a swing guy around the NFL, which is a pretty nice resource to have. Um, you know, I think obviously Cosme had been struggling a little bit, but I do think he's one of the best run blocking right tackles in the NFL. And I don't say that lightly, like the film and the, the, the data, like the PFF accrues like supports that. So uh, I think not having him in there, especially when you're trying to run the football is going to be tough. And one of the reasons, 
he blocks so well is because he's so athletic. You know, he can get his hat where it needs to be, and he's strong enough to move people. And Lucas, while an, a good athlete in his own right, is not quite as bendy and as twitchy and as flexible as Cosme. So that is something to keep an eye on, especially if they're going to try and run the football a lot. Like, he doesn't excel the same way that Cosme does, like sinking his hips and moving people off the spot. I think also, like, everyone's uh, probably a little bit worried about Sadiq Charles. I'm really excited to see Sadiq play some football. I think, you know, he's probably the second most athletic offensive lineman behind Sam Cosme. And so I want to see more of that. I think when we watch the Dallas tape, you know, we watched a ton of that. Um, you know, he's lighting people up on screens. You see him kind of miss a stunt, for example, but he's so twitchy and athletic. He can get back in front of it which is something that, again, only you see like the, the elite of the elite from an athletic standpoint do. And it's nice and it's nice to have two guys, obviously Cosby's out, but two guys of that kind of athletic caliber available. Um, so I'm excited to see what he does. Obviously, he's been up and down when he has had his opportunities, you know, just in terms of consistency and his injuries, right? He's a guy that's been nicked up quite a bit. So um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if he makes it out of this game or how that goes, for example. But I really want to see him play some more football. Yeah, and it was funny because Ron was asked, like, they, they brought in a couple of other alignment uh, practice squad level guys, and Ron was asked, hey, are these guys, like, depth guys or are these guys you envision playing? He goes, well, we we hope they're depth guys, but, you know, we'll see. And that's right. the thing is, like, just, just because you're on number three or number four uh, doesn't mean that the injuries, like, all of a sudden, oh, we found the injury switch, turn it off. Right. Like, no, it's, it, they're just going to continue to potentially come because that's the nature of the NFL. Yeah, and I think, you know, Nick played center last week. I think he did a good job. Obviously, he had the holding call. But I think, you know, for a guy coming in off a of three weeks notice to get your offense called, get the protections called, get the runs targeted, I think he did a fine job of that. So it's nice to have a guy who's got some playing experience, played a lot of football in his day to come in and, and be available for you. You know, it's not maybe the best case scenario, but it's it's a it's kind of a good stopgap. So Again, as long as they can avoid any kind of major injuries from here on out, um, I think they'll be okay. And especially given the matchup they have in Tennessee, I think that's maybe why you feel the best about it. We can talk about that more in a second. But, um, you know, obviously Jahan being out is a huge deal because he's probably been the most consistent guy in the offense. Is that fair to say, Craig? Yeah, or? I mean, I think I think you look at him and you wish there was a little bit more production outside of the red zone, um, which I'm not necessarily putting on Jahan. We've talked ad nauseum about all of the variety of problems with this offense, uh, functionally speaking, uh, from play calling formations, uh, why things are difficult for Carson. Carson struggles without them being difficult or made difficult for it. Like we've we've seen all that, but like week in, week out, you could seemingly can count on Jahan Dotson to score a touchdown in the red zone. And that's a pretty freaking important uh, guy to have. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I think, you know, and even like down to down, like in the in the games that he's played in, he's made big plays every game. Yeah. Right. So what does the offense look like not having that? We mentioned Carson's comfortability with um or comfort level, excuse me, with Jahan. Right. So that's something in a way it might be beneficial to take that away and say, Hey, Carson, like just run the offense without your kind of comfort biases. Uh, historically, that's not gone well for Carson, but you know maybe something happens that, that works out nicely for him here. So um, I, I do think that's probably a more significant injury. You know when it all comes when, all, when things are all said and done. Um, I heard Brian Robinson might be back this week. Have you got an update on that? Yeah, I mean I, I know what everybody else knows at this right. point. Uh, just for clarity uh, to the audience, we're taping this Thursday afternoon, so sure. Ron Rivera might speak, or uh, we might have more of an update. I mean the biggest thing was he practiced on Wednesday. Um, and he, that was his first like major, major workout. And so, right. uh, depending on how he responded to that, if he was back on the practice field on Thursday and then ultimately is able to go on Friday, he should be good. 
Uh, I would imagine he's back in some capacity. We don't know exactly how much yet, uh, but that's that's what we know on Robinson as of taping time. Sure. Right. So, uh, yeah. So, again, th- those are kind of all the injuries. And I think yeah. with the offensive line specifically, you feel good about Lucas coming in because there's no really absolute murderer on the edge for um, for Tennessee. I think they've got some good players. I think there's guys like um, uh, like Weaver, for example, who's got some pass rush ability that you say he's a nice young player who could potentially develop into something special. But I think then there's also guys like uh, uh, Autry, who number 96 for them, who plays inside, plays outside. And to me, he's their most productive edge pass rusher. He's a power guy. I think that fits right into what Lucas and right into what Leno kind of do well is like not a lot of right. He's a good rusher, but you're not seeing anybody on the same level of like, you know, um, the Dallas's pass rush from last week. So I think that you feel better about that. I think where I feel a little bit nervous is the interior specifically uh, Jeffrey Simmons is a very, very dynamic player. You know, he's he right now he's just to give you some context, he's grading better than Aaron Donald from a PFF standpoint. Ooh. He's this, I think he's the highest graded interior defensive player. And, you know, like he's gone up against the banged up Indianapolis line. Obviously the New York Giants line is not very good, but he has been very, very productive and he shows up a lot in the run and in the past game. And so, when you've got a guy like I feel very comfortable about Norwell, I think he's done an excellent job, and I think he'll hold his own in that regard. If in that matchup, it'll be tough, but I think he'll be okay. Then you get to Zach, and then you get to Sadiq, and Sadiq, for you know all of his athleticism, has not played a ton of football. So this is going to be a tough one to come in on and be like, hey, um, you know, let's we got to hit a home run here in terms of protecting Carson and making him feel comfortable in the pocket. So I do think that's something to keep an eye on if you're a fan of this team. The other thing that's really good about this kind of the turnover excuse me, is um, is the idea that Tennessee, they do blitz, but they're not exceptional at pressuring via the blitz. They do do it, so it's it's part of their game. Obviously, every team does it, and they have some exotic pressure packages, but nothing, they don't run it with the same precision that Dallas does, that Detroit does, so you feel good about that, but again, then you get back to those one-on-one match- matchups. Autry, again, he absolutely murdered the Colts. I think he graded like 96 97%. For, and he's rushing inside, he's rushing outside. He's a big 6'5", 280, great power rusher, and he's got violent hands. Again, problematic, but not like Parsons problematic. And then Simmons on if – if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm the Tennessee Titans, for example, I am trying to get Simmons matched up on Sadiq as much as possible because that, like, I just want to see what Sadiq can do. And I don't think Sadiq is ready for that kind of smoke just yet. So yeah. to me, that's the like I want to say that's the biggest matchup, but that is that's at the forefront of what I'm going to be watching uh, this week. Yeah, the other guy to watch that has been banged up this year, and but I think he's available this week. I mean, he played last weekend; it just it hasn't popped as much because he's been banged up. Is Bud Dupree, mm-hmm. uh, former first round pick to the Steelers, now now in Tennessee, has been a really productive pass rusher at times, kind of flashy up and down. Not not a super consistent player, but like he's got some juice to him. Like that's the guy that probably has the most pass rush juice for them on the outside. And if he's healing, like could potentially be a bigger factor. Um, but they've also got like they've got good players on the back end too. I mean, Bayard yeah. is maybe he's a top five, uh, maybe top three safety in the yeah. league. So I'm also curious with all these pieces mixing and matching, and Nick Martin in his second week, and you know Vrabel certainly has a beat on Carson beat him twice last year in Indianapolis like yeah. what do they do with a guy like Bayer and their blitz packages so what what do their pressure patch packages look like uh once you get out of just those one-on-ones where they as you described could already have some advantage 
Yeah, you know, and the reason I don't mention Bud Dupree is because he's a guy who ends up with high sack totals, and we talked about this in the last podcast, but not a very consistent pressure rate, if that makes sense. So even though he's very, he, he gets the stat, the sack numbers, oftentimes they're kind of in cleanup duty, and it's really the other guys that I just mentioned who are kind of funneling or creating the pressure for him. I think when you look at the matchups like Lucas on uh, Dupree, Leno on Dupree, like he doesn't do anything that overly, he's good rusher. He's good, but he's not in that elite category. And I personally think his backup is it gives more juice to the pass rush. So, you know, again, good football player, but nothing that kills you. I think the thing about Tennessee in the back, and you mentioned uh, Bayard, is he got Roger McCrary out of um, Auburn. I think he's a second-round pick for them. A guy that I liked, but I didn't love. And everyone was kind of being critical of him from like a uh, arm length measurable standpoint. Mm-hmm. Amani Hooker, is he – we haven't – again, we're doing this uh, – Yeah. Yeah, as of, as of Thursday, still you know limited in practice, uh, t- trending towards being listed as questionable. He was questionable last weekend, so we d- we don't know if he would play. Sure, right. So again, I think I think when I look at the secondary, they're trying to find themselves a little bit, and as a result, I think they get a little bit more conservative, which is good. You know, it's good for the Commanders. It's good for some of the things that have been ailing Carson, right? So like this matchup on paper. I think leans in outside of the Jeffrey Simmons. Um, I keep forgetting the other guys. I'm number nine six matchup in terms of pass protection. I think you feel pretty good about that. And then on the back end, I think you feel pretty good. I think at the linebacker level, you feel pretty good. I think it's just a bunch of, I don't want to say guys, but there's not like this standout name on the roster that makes you go, oh my god, outside of Jeffrey Simmons and maybe Bayard, right? So I think yeah. it, it all kind of lends itself to this idea that this is a good get right game. They don't do, they don't live and die by the pressure, right? Their defense at times can be kind of porous. They don't have a really standout player outside of Jeffrey Simmons. It should on paper, it should lend itself to something more productive for the, for the commander's offense. However, like you mentioned, I think the one variable that we hadn't really talked about yet is Vrabel and the way he motivates these guys and the way he gets the most out of these guys, right? Cause they're constantly this, this roster, when you look at it on paper, you're like, yeah, they've got a couple really good football players offensively and defensively, but nobody that makes you terrified. And they're always punching up. They're always knocking out better teams. And I think it's because they're really well coached and they play really, really hard. You know what I mean? And yeah. I guess like, so again, like it just, to me, the, 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 the matchup for the defense comes in and you say like, or the, for the offense is like, how motivated is that group to come play? And of the two sides of the football, the commanders, offense and defense, the defense has been fairly motivated the past couple of weeks, and they've looked good. The offense, to me, has looked kind of flat. And But can you get them inspired? Can you get Carson seeing the coverages? Because, it's again, it's not, it's not Detroit. It's not Philly. It's not Dallas, right? It's going to be a little simpler and a little bit less pressure from a little bit less intense from a pressure standpoint. So, to me, it feels like a kind of, I don't say get right game, because, again, the coaching of Tennessee is so good. But that's kind of Vrabel, what it feels Vrabel like. knows who Carson is. Right. Like, Vrabel's no dummy. They're right. they're gonna blitz. Like yeah. I mean, you, I would you'd kind of you kind of have to be uh let's say very dedicated, like more concerned with yourself in a way that you have like some philosophical thing that like we don't blitz to like not watch the tape and be like, Oh yeah, we're we're gonna heat up. Blitz. Well, that's that's why I brought up the back end though. You know, the only reason right. you wouldn't blitz is because your starting safety is nicked up. You're both corner spots, at least from what I've read. You know, I haven't, I've, I've do, I go from front to back. So I've done defensive line linebackers and I'm working on secondary now. From what I've read and what I've watched, they seem to kind of be 
I don't say in flux, but definitely the group that you're kind of like the biggest question mark, right? They're starting a whole right. bunch but of pieces. But if, if, like, if I'm Vrabel, I'm going, I don't trust their quarterback to get the ball to the right place anyway. I guess that's because true. Because he's, yeah, he's he, like, and if he does, like, I've got a shot that it's inaccurate because right. that's kind of who Carson has been this year and who Carson's been over many years. And, yeah. you know, especially considering their O-line play and you you might get some free. I mean, there was the one play last week where Turner, sl- I mean, look, it's a simple, 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 simple pickup that Trey Turner literally just goes the wrong way, but those kinds of things tend to happen here. Yeah. Um, and so That's if I point. know I can get a free rusher uh, at least once or twice a game, like I'm, I'm bringing the heat, I'm mixing it up. I'm, I'm trying to make Carson make a bunch of decisions, which then leads to Scott's role on the other side uh, as the OC. Uh, and by the way, one other injury uh, note is we kind of then go to the game plan phase of this for Washington. Curtis has missed the last two days of practice now oh. with illness. Now, assuming that he comes back around and is fine by the weekend, like he'll play, but like talk about an interesting, different look for Carson this week. All of a sudden, Terry's out there like this crap again. Like, I mean, he knows that Curtis is sick and is going to be fine, um, at least presumably is going to be fine by the weekend. But he like all of a sudden it's Terry running out there with Deami Brown and Cam Sims again. And so you talk about practicing and getting these reps and being comfortable, which is kind of the thing where Carson isn't. They haven't had their guys in practice this week. And I also kind of now wonder what the plan is uh, from Scott Turner. Because if I'm him, which obviously, I don't know if this is a revelation for people, but I'm not. I am not the offensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders. But if I was with Jahan out and Brian Robinson back, I would be using two running backs on the field a lot. I would have one of them out wide. I would occasionally have both in the backfield. If Curtis is out there, I might do some funky stuff where I have both of them out in the slot and him in the back. Like I'd be mixing it up, trying to create good matchups, give Carson information. Like I would be doing a lot of that stuff using the versatility of my running backs, specifically McKissick and Gibson, knowing that I can put a little bit more of the just traditional running game on Robinson's plate. Uh, and that could include like some stuff where you kind of throw some some eye candy out there. You know, you you have Robinson out with Gibson, and Gibson's just kind of lined up wide, and he's not really involved in the play. It's just a handoff to Brian Robinson, but it's something to think about. It's something to get information for later down the road in the game. Like, I am without the need to get Jahan, Terry, and Curtis all on the field as much as possible because those are your three best players because Jahan's out. I would be using those two backs a lot and probably two tight ends with a fair amount of regularity too. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, like you mentioned, that kind of brings you to the game plan aspect of it. And I think um, one of the interesting things about Tennessee is they're listed as a base 34 front. So that's three kind of big run-stopping players. Get your outside linebackers who are, you know, Brian Arakbo, Ryan Kerrigan, more like defensive end body types. And so what I would try to do if I'm Scott is get them in that personnel as much as I possibly could. Just because if I hearken back to week one, that was a 34 front and Carson seemed to see very well against that front. And it makes sense because when you get an extra kind of big person on the field, they tend to think run first. The play action pass works a little bit better, right? Kind of dig that in there, make them feel that. And it's harder for them to buzz to their spot. So there's more space in the defense. So I would try to get them in there as much as I could, as much as I possibly could get them in that in that defense, right? I understand you get Simmons in a three technique. You're going to have to deal with that in nickel anyway, like, Let's get worse coverage players on the field and see if we can get nice throwing lanes for Carson. The other thing I was thinking about is I would also try to deploy, you know, multiple tight end packages, right? You haven't really seen a ton of that. I don't know if Scott wants to be that guy. 
but that's something I would try to do just to kind of give them different fits, give them different looks, help with protection. But also I think you get, you can get better mismatches, especially against that base defense. If you've got the right people on the field. Um, and also who you were, you were, I was thinking about this the other day, and this is what I do for the high school. I'm a run game coordinator. So I just sit in my chair and I draw plays, but I was like, if I was going to try and get Curtis Samuel more involved, like what would I do? And what I would do is I would come out and essentially 11 personnel, right? And I would have Jonathan Williams be the running back and Logan Thomas be the tight end. And so then I would, I could get with Curtis Samuel in the game, I can get into 21 personnel and essentially um, Jonathan Williams would be the fullback, right? And Curtis mm. Samuels would be the running back. And then they will match in nickel, right? Maybe even dime. And all of a sudden we have a tremendous advantage. I get Jonathan Williams as a fullback on a nickel player and I can add gaps plus or minus strong or weak with ease. And I get a guy who's an explosive space player in Curtis Samuel and I get my whole run game available to me. Obviously I don't want him running traps and dives a ton, but I think that would be a nice way to find an edge in the run game just off of a simple personnel tweak, right? And then if they start matching that in base, then I say, okay, there you got your 34 personnel on me out here. Let's get, let's, it's a, it's a run. Let's check to a pass. We're going to motion out. And then I have Curtis Samuel on a three, four outside linebacker, who's essentially a defensive end in coverage. So again, that's how I would try to exploit that match. We can't do it every time, but I'd have a package of that to kind of speak to that skill set, speak to some of the stuff you were talking about with, um, with what Curtis does yeah. as well. Get 10 the ball. He's really good with it. <laughs> You know, same thing with Terry. Get 17 the ball. Um, what kind of self-scout do you think they do this week? Um, I know, like, a lot of teams go into self-scout when they have the longer week. So, like, coming up, I'm assuming they do yeah. a big self-scout between the Bears game and what I think it's the Packers that are after sure. that. Yeah. Um, and so, like, how do you – like, on, on a short week, like, how much can you truly do? And and I would assume they would probably look at themselves and be like, we got to figure out what went wrong. And I would hope that they – you know, if we can figure this stuff out, I'd hope they can some of the tendencies, gun versus not, formations, and how frequently they are doing the same thing out of the same looks. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. But I also think, you know, in our like in our self-scout, or that our, our scout that we did or a review that we did of the game, we came to a couple of conclusions that, like, Carson was missing opportunities. Yeah. So if you're the OC, and this is tough now, it's tough. It's hard yeah. for you to say – this is what went wrong outside of these 10 plays because those 10 plays that Carson misses on misses quote unquote are 10 plays that changed the landscape of that game. So I think that's something that's really hard on a short week to do. And I understand there's some things that we found that maybe they could be better at, you know, and I, I personally think the play pass element is one of them. Like they need to be a better play pass team, but that doesn't happen in a week necessarily. That happens over the course of a bye week where you have more practices to get that right. But I think it's going to be really hard to kind of say this is what went wrong because to Scott's eye, and in some ways to my eye, despite all the tendencies, despite all the tells, despite all the kind of specific formational elements, the, when you get down to the brass tacks, Carson missed a lot of opportunities. And that, to me, if I'm if I'm if I'm Turner, I kind of say, well, we got to get the quarterback to play better. So maybe that's where the self scout is at the moment, and I think that can be really challenging because it stops that kind of really critical evaluation of what you're doing as a play caller. Because you say, I can't even get there. I can't even know if this stuff is working or not working because we didn't get what we needed from an execution standpoint from the most position, the most important position on the field. Before 
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. <sighs> so, okay, Craig asked a dumb question. It's probably not a dumb question. But everybody's favorite. We need, like, music for it. Or something. Yeah, seriously. It's, like, uh, it's just like a light bulb sound effect. Ding! <laughs> when you're putting together a team of any kind, a football team, a basketball team, a business team, a whatever team I was trying to think of other kinds of teams. I'm out of kinds of teams. Each member of the team should want to do their job as well as possible. Mm. Like that's not a revelatory statement. That is like for our show, our sh- uh, my show on the radio, I need to do my job as well as possible. And if Anthony screws something up, like I also need Anthony to do uh, something as well, his job as well as possible. But like, if I screw something up and he screws something up, I got to fix my part. That's my sure, responsibility. Right. And so I guess what I struggle with is like, if that's how the NFL operates and that's how Scott may be thinking, it's like, oh, like, yeah, maybe I could do some other stuff, but Carson's just got to hit these plays. I'd be like, man, if you know that you're already, like that you have these problems, you need to fix them out. Like you can do both at once. Right. But I do feel, and I'm not saying that you're, I'm not have, saying that you're putting words in Scott's mouth. No, as no, far no. as I know, you haven't talked to him about this. So like, you're not, you're not projecting what Scott is feeling, but I do get the sense that, that is very much how the NFL operates. Yeah. That a lot of play callers are like, well, if my quarterback would just hit this and I'm like, well, you ran out of under, when you were under center, you ran at 18 of 20 times. I think mm-hmm. you can be better too. Why yeah. can't they do both? Yeah. And I think, so I'm speaking from experience. Like these, right. I've been in the I've right. been in the meetings after bad games, right? Not not with Scott, but with other like five other offensive coordinators around the NFL, six because I had two in one. But anyway, but like what I'm saying is that for whatever reason, there is this kind of this. It's a competitiveness in the play caller. I want to say that basically says it's not necessarily me, but it for sure. If that guy plays better, we're okay. And I get that. You know, like having called plays at a very low level in high school football, like there's part of me when they, when I call a run and I get the iPad on the sideline and it's messed up, I'm like, we got to run that again because they screwed that up. You know, I told them what to do and they screwed it up. Now, I have to kind of say, like, am I putting too much on their plate mentally? And you have to look at yourself very right. critically, right? And I think it takes a bigger person to do that. Then, then you would, and it does. It's not as frequent. It's not as common as you would think. Every right. single coordinator I've had, this is the conversation after a game like that on Monday. We we they come in, we all sit down in our meeting, and he says, "Hey guys, we're gonna look at some film real quick." And he will buzz through probably fifteen, maybe twenty plays 
of where the players didn't execute effectively. And it's like, see how close we are here? See this throw? And as a player, like, oh, I totally get it. Like, we screwed that up, right? Right, but, like, that's the league. And, like, that's kind of my thing is, like, like, I've now watched how how many different quarterbacks here, how many different coaches and coordinators. I mean, I guess two head coaches and, like, two main coordinators in terms of Jay was always over the offense. But, like, different variations with with Sean, with Kevin, when Jay was the guy who was really running it. Like, I've seen some different stuff. I've now seen Scott for a couple years. I've watched, obviously, opponents week after week after week. Aaron Rodgers misses stuff. Tom Brady misses stuff. Like, quarterbacks miss stuff in the league. And when coordinators and coaches fail to realize that and go, we can make it easier. We actually control part of this because maybe Carson wouldn't miss that if he was in a better rhythm. Maybe Carson wouldn't miss that if he could see it better or if he didn't have quite as much pressure because the the defense didn't know there's a 90% chance they're passing here because they're in the shotgun. Like, they're they're like these pieces are intertwined and it, it's i say this about soccer all the time um because soccer is very similar you have these coaches that are like oh we missed that opportunity missed that opportunity i can't believe they missed that shot we would we should have won seven nothing and i'm like do you watch soccer right yeah professional soccer games aren't seven nothing ever like right. if the best team in the league beat you know faces the worst team in the league in some of these leagues where there's 30 teams sure but like in the leagues that we're talking that I'm talking about where these conversations happen, games a blowout is three nothing. Right. But most of these games are two one, one one ties, whatever. And it's like, yeah, you're just gonna miss 70% of your opportunities because that's the sport. Right. And that's that's what I get frustrated by in football, where I'm like, if somebody could realize what football actually is, how it actually works out on average, and then be like, okay, maybe we should try to do this and this maybe you'd actually have more success. And I feel like some teams do that better than others, and those are the good ones. Like, I think Andy Reid and the Chiefs do this very well. Yeah. I'm sure mm-hmm. he looks at games as like, Patrick missed that, that, and that, but how can I make it so that he doesn't miss that? It takes it, it takes a very mature coach, and it takes a mature boss. Like, you know, like when you're managing people and you kind of say, man, I didn't put them in the best position to be successful. And, like, we've all been employed. We've all had bosses. We all know good bosses. We all know bad bosses. And one of the things about a good boss is they – are very accountable and they're very self-aware, right? And that's people are not always that way. So I'm not <laughs> saying Scott is. I'm not saying Scott is or isn't that way. But I would expect that some of the self-evaluation is hampered by the stuff that Carson missed this last week. I would assume, you know. Right. And I and I think when they get to the buy, like you said, when they get to the buy and there's no scoreboard, there's no upcoming game, they'll be able to kind of say, oh yeah, you know, maybe this is where we need to be better with some of this stuff. So. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That's Logan Paulson. All right, Logan, let's wrap the pod talking about the commander's defense. Uh, Luckily, they've survived the injury bug that has bitten the offense. They are fairly whole at this point of the season uh, and have largely played a lot better. They face a really unique offense, though, this week. There's, And I say unique, I truly do mean like one of one. I don't know that there's another offense in the NFL that is this running back centric. There are certainly other teams that rush it a lot. Philly, they've already played. Um, Baltimore is, is a very run heavy team. But no, th- those so two different teams, type of run attack, different type. Yeah, of different type of run attack. The quarterback, you know, Tannehill can run, obviously, former college wide receiver. Um, but like he doesn't run it like Hertz or Lamar does. Sure. So it is a Derrick Henry focused offense. So how does that play out if you're this commander's defense? And then who else ultimately, as we, we expand out, uh, do the commanders need to worry about? Yeah. So I think obviously Derrick Henry is a big piece. And probably for the first two games of the season, it looked like he wasn't going to be back to his to the beast mode, to King Henry type form, but he has really come alive the last two weeks. And he's had, you know, if you look at the stat line, kind of maybe tepid production, but then when you go watch the games, like he's had, he had a, uh, a 30 yard touchdown run called back against Indianapolis and he broke like six tackles, you know, just looking like an absolute man amongst boys. So uh, to me, he's getting back to that form. And I do think that the offensive line they've assembled kind of fits who they want to be. Obviously Dallas is more of kind of a big bulking, hulking, you know, let's mash them up and spit them out kind of group. This uh, this group for um, Tennessee is a little bit faster, especially on the interior side, right? Their tackles, um, you know, obviously uh, Taylor Lewan is out with an ACL mm-hmm. or some type of injury. And yeah. uh, their backup is in, um, you know, Dennis Daly, who is a kind of big hulking sort of fellow, but really does a nice job in the outside zone. Nicholas Petit Freyer. Solid 6'6, 325. Right. And uh, kind of a mat, like a nasty personality, right? In the run game. And like they, they've all, they've assembled a bunch of guys like that. Nicholas Petit Freyer, you know, is a guy that I liked actually for Washington as a, as a draft pick. Um, very quick footed, struggles as a pass protector. So does uh, Dennis Daly, also struggles as a pass protector. But they're so athletic that they tend to excel in this outside zone game that they run. And then as you move in, it's the same thing. Uh, they got kind of undersized guards, but they're very fast and they're very good at cutting people out of their gaps. So this is going to be a much different running scheme than they've seen in um, Detroit than they saw with Dallas. It's going to be one that stresses you sideline to sideline, and they're very, very good at it. Because one of the things about outside zone that's so unique is that you're kind of using the defense's rules against you, right? So like if I if I'm playing tight end and I'm reaching a nine technique or player outside of me, I'm throwing my hat to the outside to get that player to think I'm trying to cut him out of, I'm trying to reach him, like cut him out of his contained responsibilities. Right. And that makes him run to the sideline. So I've actually just moved him just by putting my hat in the right position. And that is essentially what they're doing here. They're using the defense's rules against them and they're very, very effective at it. And they understand how to be good at it. Yeah. And just to, just to clarify, um, outside, I mean, we throw some of these run terms. I think a lot of people know kind of vaguely what some of these are, but I think, you know, for a a game like this, like let's, let's more uh, cleanly define outside zone. So offensive, offensive line is all running. Let's say it's outside zone to the the left. Um, everyone's running to the left and you pick up kind of who you hit along the way. Obviously it's not like man to man straight in front of you. So if, if you encounter someone in your zone as a blocker, hence the zone blocking scheme, you're going to pick them up. Obviously, you can talk with way more nuance. We could probably honestly do an hour and a half yeah, on outside zone if, if if I let you go on that. So we're just right. going to stick, unless I'm wrong, we're going to stick with my very loose outside zone definition. 
Um, but yeah, so, then so as a running as a running back, though, you're looking to push, push, push to the front side of the play, and then eventually find which kind of gap opens in correct, the, in the yeah. run scheme or in between those linemen, and and make that one cut up the field. Yeah, because basically you're betting on the fact that like of the eight man front that's defending the run, one guy is going to be a step slow is what you're essentially counting on, and Tennessee that is magnified by the fact that they have a guy who, if you are a step slow, is going to break your arm off on an arm tackle because he's so dang big, right? <laughs> like I saw a play against Oakland, or in Oakland, Las Vegas, excuse me, where the, the backside three technique reads it perfectly, gets across, and the center basically like does an okey-doke, like kind of the old hockey, like grabs the uh, nose guards pads and pulls him down, he falls down. But the three technique is going to make the play. And he dives at Derrick Henry and looks like a dang speed bump. Boom. Right over him <laughs> and into the secondary, just like a like a like a shot out of a gun, right? So I do think it's going to stress them in a way that they haven't seen yet. It's going to make them play very disciplined. Like one of the things that Allen did last week that was very successful was backdooring blocks, and he was able to backdoor. Payne was able to get great penetration on these like these tight gap scheme runs, and Allen's able to get back into the play and make the make the tackle. This week, if he does that on an outside zone team, he will he will be out of his gap, and it'll be a huge play. Right. So understanding the type of opponent you're facing against, right, the the problems that they bring. And I think that's to me and the tight ends. They have two excellent tight ends, Swain and Hooper, who are excellent at blocking this type of stuff. So they, they're going to stress every facet of the defense. So to me, the matchup that becomes most important are the edge players against the tackles, because what you're counting tackles and tight ends, because what you're counting on is that those tackles can stretch or push that player to the sideline long enough that the back can press the defense laterally for a little bit before making his cut. Because if, if, if he can't press it and the defense doesn't have to move, then they don't lose their shape. The longer they have to stay with the back as he moves laterally, the longer the, the more opportunity the shape is to d- disintegrate on defense. And that's essentially what you're trying to get to with this, right? So can the edge players set hard edges against this outside zone stuff? And can everyone play gaps on football? Is really what it comes down to. Yeah, Montez Sweat. Uh, is good at that. He's excellent at that. Uh, and, and so obviously James is good at it the too. other side, right? James, James, is James is really good. And, you know, Casey, I think has had uh, probably more, more splash uh, plays this year than James has, but like, this is a James Smith Williams game on the other right. side, opposite of, of Montez. Montez is excellent at this in part because he's so freaking fast that like, you're like, he can, you know, you talked about as a tight end um, and cool. used to talk about this all the time where he thought it was hilarious to just run guys out of bounds. Sure. Cause he'd be like, hi, you idiot. Like right. I just get all I have to do is run out of bounds and you're going to chase me. And now we're standing out of bounds playing pat a cake and my yeah, running right. back has an extra gap. And right. you're you, you big, dumb, you big, dumb end. You didn't know any better. Um, right. But like it has changed Montez, a lot since then. Like, yeah, the it, it has certainly change. evolved right. um, versus like when you guys were running it, when when Kyle was here, uh, you know, those were the good old days, man, because you could yeah. just literally like run to the sideline. And the guy's like, I got to keep outside contained. Now right. it's much more nuanced and they understand guys, outside zone. Guys, no, but like with Montez. He can beat beat you as a tight end yeah. and be like, "Ha, I have contain." And now contain yeah. stops here. And yes. like, if this running back wants to try to go around me, I'm just going to chase him. I'll chase him out of bounds, and that works because if we're playing pad cake out of bounds, the play's over because he's got the ball. Right. Like his ability to set a hard edge and kind of stop that flow and condense it down while keeping contain can really mess up a lot of outside zone plays. And we've seen him do it over the course of years. The question then becomes on the discipline side, the back seven. So yeah. how does this back seven then support that? Because 
Allen and Payne and Sweat and, and Smith Williams and Two Hill, like these guys have played the run, especially the last two weeks, exceptionally well. And it's been supported by guys in the back end. I mean, William Jackson the third for all the bad stuff that's happened to him in the past yeah. game had a huge tackle for loss on on an outside play uh, last week. I don't know if it was outside zone, but he he shot the gap yeah, um, screen, on that play I think, on, something on like Pollard. That, yeah. yeah, I can't remember if it was a handoff screen. It was something, and yeah. he got there. Um, so you know he's not afraid to come up and make plays. Fuller's not afraid to come up and make plays. How do the safeties play it? And then of course, huge huge week for Jamin Davis and Cole Holcomb. I think this is a huge test to kind of see how much they've progressed mentally, sure. how much discipline they can show, because it's been so much better. But this is probably the most challenge that they'll have been in the run game in a, in a couple of weeks from that mental discipline standpoint. Yeah, and I think I think really, if I was going to say who has the biggest responsibility based on how Tennessee does their stuff, it's the interior players here. So it's you know, it's Payne, it's Allen, Ridgeway, obviously got a lot of burn mm-hmm. last week. Like, how's he do? FAO Bada when he gets in there. Those guys have to play so disciplined. Because when you see their big runs, like, I haven't watched every big run, but I've probably watched 10 or 15 of, like, the plus 10, plus 15-yard runs from Tennessee. It's the interior guys who are not doing what they're supposed to doing. And, again, they have, like, an undersized offensive line inside. But part of that is because they're so quick off the ball. They, they invite guys almost to backdoor blocks. And Derrick Henry, for how big he is, is able to kind of – he's able to beat you with speed to that spot. So that, to me, is like kind of the crux of it, right? Because then it makes the next thing easier. It makes the stuff for Jamin, for Cole, for Cam, for Forrest easier because they know exactly where they have to fit in the front. And I think, actually, when I look at Jamin, when I look at Cole, they're better at taking on outside zone blocks than straight gap scheme blocks, right? Mm. But you got to be in the right spot. So if someone's, you know, we talked about this against Detroit, like if you get gapped out, like John gets gapped out of that, uh, like outside zone to the right, which is right. a very similar run to what they're going to see this week. Then you put Cole in a bad spot. Then you put Forrest in a bad spot. You put Percy Butler in a bad spot, all because that one piece is out of out of, out of of alignment. So I think that's, that's huge. And obviously we mentioned the safeties. Let's talk about them real quick. So in outside zone, they basically push crack on the safeties. So the receivers outside, will come in and basically try to ear hole them and then force the corner to tackle a 255 pound man in Derrick Henry. So again, you mentioned the corners, you mentioned the safeties, like this is going to be, it's a team effort versus outside zone. Like that's one thing you talk to Mike Shanahan, you talk to Kyle, good outside zone is an 11 man proposition, right? And you're just trying to find the one dude who's not doing what they're supposed to do. And that's why it's so tough. And then they do other stuff. They do gap scheme stuff. They do power, they do trap, but the stuff that's been really hitting for them recently is the outside zone stuff. Um, personnel wise, how would you try to match up against them? Are you playing more Cinco package to give yourself a little bit more inside? Are you, you know, trying to get a little extra speed on the field? I mean, this is where, I mean, do you, do they even have a four, three base? Like, could they get out there with Mayo and at middle linebacker and then, or at, at the will and, or strong or at Sam and like, then Cole and and Jamin out there. Like, is that, is that even an option for them? Well, I think when I look back at last week, for example, they they were pretty good in their kind of four down structure with with Cam in the box, and he Cam did yeah. a nice job, and they were able to kind of figure out where to put Cam and how to hide it and make it not overly obvious like where that whole thing was happening. So, I think I think that's what I would go with because guys seem to know how to fit runs, and so what you don't want to do is put somebody new in, let's say Mayo, at a new spot. And then they get a new formation that they haven't talked about. And it's like, how do I fit this, right? 
where do I fit? And then he's out of a gap and then there's nobody and it's a touchdown because that's what Derek right. Henry will do to you. Right. Right. So that's what I would say. Get guys who are comfortable doing what they're comfortable doing. Like, I think that's one of the pitfalls of going like four down base to Cinco package, right? Is because you get guys in Cinco and they not, they're not used to fitting runs. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So, so stay with what you're good at. And then I think the other thing is I would try to stay away from Cinco because they are murderous with the play pass. They are so that was good what I was gonna get to next. Play pass. The best uh play action run fake is outside zone or stretch zone, right? Because yeah. it is and I don't know. Did you you're not on Twitter, so I doubt you saw this yesterday. Um, but there was like this eight or nine minute discussion on NFL Live between Orlovsky, uh mm-hmm. Marcus Spears, Ryan Clark talking about the difference between being in gun versus being under center. And it was really fascinating hearing the defensive guys. I'll I'll send it to you. Um, But it was really interesting hearing those guys talk about it because how the defensive guys talked about it, saying, I can't see anything when you're under center. Like, I can't see whether you are faking it or whether you actually handed it up. So even if it's a play pass, like, I am taking so much time to, like, I have to dance with this block before going to get the quarterback in case it's run. When it's in shotgun, I can see everything in front of me. It's happening far enough away that I can right. poke my hat through, see, and then if I can see it's a run fake, I, I just go go to the passer. I, and even if it's a run, like I will tackle the running back on the way to the passer. Right. Their whole mentality changes. And so because these outside or stretch zone plays are so long developing, it buys you a ton of time to get run action or to get – deeper stuff down the field yes. and if a safety bites or a corner bites or whatever, and now all of a sudden coverage is busted, easy throws. You got time, you got space and, and the receivers have had time to get down the field. So it is no surprise to me that a team that is run based, that runs a lot of outside zone has a killer play action. And, and yeah. And like you pretty much hit everything. So I watched the Las Vegas game, right? And so they match in basically like a six one, like they've got a whole, it's like, a, it looks like a goal line personnel. Right. Wow. And so they've got outside linebackers playing the edges. Right. And one of them's uh divine Diablo. Who's like a, like a will linebacker. And the other one's like a defensive end. So basically five defensive linemen. And so you watch them run action. Woom fast. Derek Henry coming downhill under center. Everyone's taking on their blocks. Even the guy in the tight end is taking like head into the block. Right. And then they pop their head out, and then you can tell they don't know because it's like this. It's like, look to the right, look to the left. Oh, shoot, it's a pass. I got to drop in a coverage. And so you get this guy who's supposed to drop in a coverage who is messing with the tight end at the line of scrimmage, and there is a cavernous void on this big blaze out to to the right of the formation. And Woods doesn't even run that great of a route, but the corner is expecting there to be a flat player under that route. And the flat player is still messing with the tight end at the line of scrimmage. And so we mentioned buying hitches, you know, Tannehill gets back one hitch, two hitch balls out. And Tannehill's done an excellent job with the play pass, with the RPO, with all the stuff they do. Like he doesn't get enough credit. Like he should be a a very solid player. Yes. He should be a more highly valued player. I think is as far as the quarterback goes, but the scheme insulates him. Right. So I look at that and I say, Holy cow, like this is going to be tough sledding. Cause you look at the, one co- one of the coverage busts that Jamin had the other day against Dallas, it's on a play pass. Like, cause Jamin's doing what he thinks he's supposed to do. Right. And and that play action pass stuff is going to be better this week. It's going to be more efficient. Now to the front side of the run, they tend to pass set a little bit more. So there is a tell, but they're really good at saying, we don't care about the front side concept. We care about the backside concept because we know we're going to get excellent pull on the backside of this play action pass concept. Right? So 
they are they do a really good job of understanding what the defense is seeing, how to manipulate them. So they are, like we mentioned, manufacturing big plays. Not only do they man- manufacture big plays in the run game or they have been manufacturing big plays in the run game, but they've also done an excellent job with the play passes, right? And you mentioned they don't have great skill guys, right? Robert Woods is kind of their guy right now. Traylon Burks is Hard. more of a gadgety type of player, even when he's healthy, he's developing. Um, you know, the tight ends, they don't get a lot of stuff in terms of play pass. And they've got a guy, Holister, who's kicked around the league for a little bit. He's a good player for what they do because he likes to block. But again, like they are able to maximize their talent through this scheme, through Derrick Henry, through Tannehill, insulate the offensive line, insulate the kind of lackluster skill position players, and really maximize what they do. So I do I think the defensive defense matches up well with them? Yeah, absolutely. I think the corners match up really well. I think the safeties match up well. I don't think there's a player on that offense outside of Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill that you need to be scared of or worried about. But they, what Henry does and from a run fake perspective insulates the O-line and takes, some, takes the edge off of some of those coverage players, right? Because we just mentioned how how like when a receiver push cracks like the corner has to fit it right so you get easy opportunities to bust coverage and break rules off of this concept stuff so again this is this is from the kyle shanahan tree right arthur smith you know he he studied under yes. uh, matt lafleur for a little bit right they yep. all the same stuff and you can see it man it, and it is sharp it's sharp yep. but if you can get them out of out of off like off rhythm so make them in a second and ten Way less effective, but like I mentioned, Tannehill's done a great job in terms of executing at a high level. So, yeah, uh, we'll have more on all of this Sunday on Countdown to Kickoff starting at 10 a.m. So, make sure you tune in on 1067 The Fan and the Team 980 for more of Logan's breakdown. Check out Command Center uh, on YouTube on the Commanders page. And of course, he posts some good stuff at Logan underscore Paulson 82. I'll see y'all on the radio uh, for the Hoffman Show at three o'clock. And until next week, this has been. Me.